Hey, welcome back to the Noggin Notes podcast. My name is Jake Wiskirchen. I'm your host, and the show is sponsored by Zephyr Wellness. Check out more at zephyrwellness.org. Hope you enjoyed the first introduction to emotional functioning. This is part two, and I'm sure you'll find this just as enlightening as I do when I tell it every time. I've done this hundreds of times now across different audiences, and it never gets old. So in the last episode, we talked about how emotion is can be conceptualized in tanks of fluid, uh, thinking versus feeling. This time, we're going to talk about how the emotional process can be conceptualized like a wave. So picture in your mind the perfect bell curve wave. Uh, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and right in the middle is the peak. So at the beginning of the emotion, the wave starts to crest, and then right at the peak is where you you lose true control over, over whether or not you're feeling something. And then at the end, you tail off and you have an emotional experience completely and fully. If you're raised in a good environment that helps promote emotional function, you get validated a lot, things are labeled accurately, you're taught how to express it in a safe safe manner and you're not threatened, then what ends up happening is you, you allow yourself to feel these emotions fully and you know that you can have them and the world doesn't quit turning. You can go beginning, middle, and end as I ride the wave through and you can't see my hand moving, but it moved in a wave shape. And once you get to the end, you say, man, that was that was scary or that was exciting or that was fun or, or that, was, uh, that made me angry. And life moves on. The moment has passed and now I can engage and, and go about my business. What a lot of people do, though, is they'll be raised in an environment that's not supportive of that kind of functioning, and they'll get what's called invalidated. So, for example, p- people who are raised in homes that are full of abuse and neglect and violence, uh, there's no safe space to express emotion. So you might start to cry as a child, and, and instead of being allowed to feel that fully and go th- go ride the wave through, Maybe you're yelled at or maybe uh, maybe you're struck and uh, f- you know, physical violence occurs. And what that teaches you over time is you're not allowed to be out of control. You're not allowed to be vulnerable enough to express what you're feeling. So what happens is in that beginning part of the wave, your body senses it, your mind, to, your, your brain tells you what's going on, and you shut it down. Because if you allow yourself to experience that completely – you may get whacked. You may get uh, yelled at. You may get called a name or something else. This happens not just at home, but it can happen on the playground if people are getting bullied for feeling what they feel. And males particularly have a, a tough time expressing emotion, more than more so than females, because our culture tells us that it's not cool to be vulnerable. It's not cool to cry, whether it be through, through sadness or through shame or through guilt or uh, through fear. So instead, what we do is we tend to grab onto something else that substitutes for that feeling and acts as a proxy. Oftentimes, we're shown that in the movies and television, that anger is a good substitute. So what ends up happening is we may feel something, but we're not feeling authentically what we're supposed to feel. So instead of sadness, or instead of fear, we might choose anger. And it gives us some sort of satisfaction and neurologically in the brain, but we're not really feeling what we're supposed to feel. And while we get the feeling, it's inaccurate. That's also a form of emotional invalidation, is mislabeling the emotions. We don't want to mislabel our emotions because then it makes communication very challenging. One thing that uh, Carol Izzard discovered was through his studies across 50 years of doing emotional investigation, regardless of culture, regardless of civilization, 
he found across the globe that with 94% accuracy, a person could identify what another person was feeling based on facial expression. So that means that if I'm, if I'm experiencing something emotionally and I put the wrong expression on my face, I fail to communicate the correct message, and my audience then doesn't know how to respond to me. This is particularly true with uh, people who are raised in invalidating environments who just have a flat look on their face. They become very flattened. And uh, in, our, in our field, we call that affect. Affect with an A-F-F-E-C-T is the emotional presentation on your face. If you have a flat affect, it makes it very hard for people to communicate with you. And you take this, ah, I don't really care attitude, when really deep down you do care. It's just that your brain has been a little bit cross-wired from childhood or adolescence or whatever to not be able to feel what you're supposed to feel and then communicate it appropriately. That's a big problem. So we want to be able to ride the emotional wave through its completion because, after all, every experiencing every experience has an end, even if it seems to keep re-experiencing within your brain, probably because of your thinking, your focus on it, and we discussed that in episode one. The event does end. At some point, it all ends. Even our lives on this planet end. So even if somebody had a 100% completely miserable existence, it will come to an end. And knowing that, we can help train ourselves emotionally to get through other emotions a little bit more quickly and effectively, knowing that we can have that emotional experience and the earth won't just spin off its axis somehow. So that brings me to another point, and that point is that emotional functioning has a direct tie to cognition. And we went over a little bit of this in part one of the emotional introduction. So cognition, we can control. We can control what we think. We can control what we feel. We can control what we believe. I can change my mind at any time about my beliefs. I may not want to. They may be well-rooted in something that I really believe solidly in. But ultimately, it's my choice as to whether or not I think what I think. Now, I don't have any control over what I feel, as indicated by the marker flipping in, in the part one of the introduction. So if a snake crosses my path, I don't have any control over whether or not I feel surprise or fear. All I have control over is how long and how much I feel it with my thinking, my frontal lobe. And I'm tapping on my forehead right now, even though you can't see it. Here's why this is important. Language factors in. And a lot of times in our, to, in our society today, and especially online, we see people saying, I feel like. And then what follows is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a thought, or it's a belief, or an idea, or a perception, all of which can be changed. However, if I'm mislabeling it as a feeling by saying, I feel, and then I say a thought, what I've effectively done is handcuff myself to being able to do anything about it. So let me give you an example. I'm sitting in a room that's actually well-constructed right now. It's, it's very pretty, and all the colors uh, go together. But I could say, I feel like this room is not the right color, or I feel like this room is decorated improperly. Well, that's not a feeling. That's a belief. I believe, I think, it seems to me, or I have an idea. Those would all be great substitutes for I feel that would then allow me to change my mind. Say an interior designer comes in and says, no, actually, these, these colors do go together. you got slate blue with uh, this uh, putty-colored clay and then there's like a, a green carpet and they all they all actually work together very well because it's a it's an earth tone colored room but as long as I'm telling myself I feel my thoughts then I can't do anything about them because I can't change whether or not I feel sad I can't change whether or not I feel shame I can only change how much and how long I feel it but I can change all my beliefs 
based on information. So if new information comes in, I can receive that information as long as I'm not attached to my ideas and, and I'm allowed to receive that. Then I can change my mind and go, well, you know, actually, I, I see your point, interior designer who has a degree in decorating and has practiced it for many years. I do understand now how these colors go together and they show me the color wheel and so forth. I can change my mind about that, but not as long as I'm saying I feel. If you want a good video about this, you can go to the Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel and the video is entitled, Saying I Feel is Ruining Your Ability to Think. It elaborates the concept a little bit more. So the point is that we want to go and identify our emotions accurately, but we definitely also want to separate them from our thoughts. What we think, what we feel are very different, and we want to make sure that the line is drawn very clearly so that we don't end up mislabeling things and keeping ourselves from changing our minds about things. This is how arguments happen. This is how fights occur, is when we say, I feel like the room's the wrong color, and then somebody else comes in and says, no, no, it's actually the right color, and then I retreat and go, well, that's my feeling. It's what I feel. You can't change that. Neener, neener. Well, turns out it's not a feeling to begin with at all. And of course, I want to add as a side note that we're not talking about physiological feelings such as hunger and fatigue and heat or cold. Those are all physiological feelings, which you also can't do much about. So you can say, I feel hungry, and that, that would be a feeling. It's just not an emotional feeling, and we're talking emotions. So that's why I used emotion as an example. This concludes part two of the introduction to emotional functioning. And I'm excited to be able to bring you the individual 10 concrete uh, or discrete emotions in upcoming podcasts. If this has uh, awakened anything in, in you and you, it's uh, stirred something, we invite you to go check out some resources to get yourself some professional assistance because, uh, again, there are people like me out there who have lots of experience in helping guide your, your journey. And they can be found on places like psychologytoday.com, aamft.org, mind.org.uk or sane.org.uk and uh, there, there are various other ways to find therapists and, and counselors in your communities as well. If you like the episode, we encourage you to subscribe. There will be more upcoming and uh, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or on whatever podcast app that you're using because that helps drive listenership and more listeners means more people being healthy and who doesn't want to live in an emotionally healthy world. For Noggin Notes and Zephyr Wellness, my name is Jake Wiskirchen. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time, and I wish you all great mental health.